We hope you found value in part one of this podcast. Thank you for joining us for this second segment. Hello, and welcome to the Communication Solution Podcast with Casey Jackson and John Gilbert. I'm your host, Danielle Canton. Here at the Institute for Individual and Organizational Change, otherwise known as IFIOC, we love to talk about communication, we love to talk about solutions, and we love to talk about providing measurable results for individuals, organizations, and the communities they serve. Welcome to the Communication Solution that will change your world. Hello, beautiful people. It's Danielle Canton here, your facilitator of the Communication Solution, and I'm here with Casey Jackson. Hey, Casey. Hey. (laughs) Hey. I'm excited today to talk about why you named this podcast the Communication Solution. We know that you're kind of a master with motivational interviewing. You train um, so many organizations and help so many people with this incredible tool, evidence-based practice. Why did you call this podcast Motivational Interviewing? Why, why Communication Solution? You know, I think partially it's from my background as a social worker. And a social work perspective is that you're trying to help as many individuals, but looking at systems, you're looking at a micro level, you're looking at a macro level. And motivational is not the end all be all. It's the most phenomenal, truly the most phenomenal skill set I've ever accessed and and um, developed for myself. It's had the most profound impact on me personally and professionally. But the more I grew my skill set and expanded my understanding, I just think there's a profound awareness of how communication impacts our lives or the lack of communication or poor communication. And for me, it's not that every conversation is am I, nor should it be motivational interviewing. But by definition, if there's a conversation, there's communication, Um, you know, no matter what that communication is, can we find a way to be more effective? Can we find a way to be more efficient and, and heal ourselves, heal families, heal communities, you know, heal societies? That's, that to me is a solution. And the one thing we have control over is what we say when we open our mouth. So for me, it was just kind of that, you know, meditation that came to me. It's just like, this is truly a communication solution. Um, so that's, that's kind of my walking into that. I'm just thinking that would be, for me, that'd be a fascinating podcast to listen to. Um, something that really does give me kind of a mindset and a skill set to improve outcomes of things around me. I love that when, and you know, when I met you on stage, you were a keynote speaker at the senior living conference and I was just blown away. I was blown away because I, I did not know motivational interviewing and in branding and marketing, which is my career, my background, my expertise is like in branding and marketing, you touch every single day. If you're not touching every single department, you're doing something wrong because you're a reflection. That's what you're bringing to life is the culture and, and how are you making sure it's aligned? Um, and that's why I was like, oh my God, this is a tool that you can use to actually make sure everybody is aligned if it starts from the top. So exactly. it was really, um, I'm really drawn to the fact that it's called the communication solution. And I also understand the difference that motivational interviewing um, is, is the tool that you pull out when you want to address behavior change. 
Is that fair to say? It is. And, you know, the communication solution is a much better term than (laughs) the nightmare that you look at with the, the name of my company, which is the Institute for Individual and organizational. <laughs> right, that's, exactly, that's exactly what I was thinking. The same thing with communication solution is I was looking at the more I was evolving my understanding and, and application motivational interviewing, this applies on an individual level, but it applies on an organizational level or on systems levels. And again, this is, goes back to my social work mindset of how do I have a micro level impact and a macro level impact? And like you and I have talked about so many times, whether I'm talking to an individual or you're within an organization, so the issues come down to poor communication or the absence or the lack of communication. So I don't care if you're talking about a marriage or a relationship or parenting or with your friend group or in your office or within the organization. I mean, probably the number one thing you hear more than anything when people are disgruntled is it feels like, I don't know what's going on. Nobody communicates with me. You know, there's miscommunication. Well, that's not what they told me. It's just communication, 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 which makes sense when you talk about from a branding and marketing, like, well, branding and marketing should be, you know, have the fingers, you know, at least in connection with every single department or program. Um, And what does that mean? That means communication, whether it's written or, or oral. Yeah, it's um, hands down every single organization I've worked with, communication is the number one pain point and they just don't have a solution. That's why when I met you, I was like, we've got to make sure everybody in the world knows about this. Every single CEO and leader needs to know there really is a, there really is a system that you can use, a way of being and actual tools and and. Um, techniques to help people communicate better. So Casey, can you tell us um, a little bit about the actual companies that you've helped um, in the, I would say the for-profit world with their communication solutions or their culture? Yeah. The thing that's so, why I get so, you know, passionate about this is, you know, I've worked with all sorts of companies in, in senior living um, you know, this is a, there's a business or an industry for everything and somebody has got to do those things. Um, and you know, behavioral health, mental health, substance use, there's just so many organizations that I've had the privilege to work with. I think where it's difficult when you were talking about CEOs, you know, thinking from a CEO or a COO or a CFO perspective, I think there's so much marketing out there for use our brand of communication and then people use it. And it's like, yeah, that was helpful, but it really fades over time or it just doesn't stick. It doesn't make a cultural shift. And, you know, part of my investment in motivational interviewing is it does make system change. It makes cultural shift if people will follow it to fidelity. So it's not because Casey Jackson says it's so it's not because I found a brand or I did a TED talk. It's literally because the data bears it out. It is an evidence-based practice for a reason because the research continues to bear out and continues to evolve the way we use language and apply it. So what does everyone do in leadership positions or program managers? Okay, let's get somebody to train MI. So somebody comes in and trains MI and they're like, well, that didn't change our outcomes. But people really like the training. And that tends to be the way that things unfold 
typically, because most people don't want to invest in the full fidelity model. So, you know, I like being very transparent when I talk to any organization. And I think this is where I think there's more of a of a hesitancy in the corporate world because they're always being sold something. And in motivational learning, you're not selling anything. You're really trying to help them have the culture that they want. So they're always filtering who's selling me the new software, who's selling me new IT, who's selling me, yeah, I know yours is the best, blah, 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 blah. But where the rubber hits the road, how is this going to make a difference? And I think that's what, when you're talking upper administration, those are decisions that they have to make. What it comes to with motivational interviewing is when you're following a fidelity model that has as much research as MI does behind it, you know, for 40 years of research, what you're looking at, and it's why I use that analogy with grandma's recipe. If you're only going to pay for flour and sugar, and you're only going to bake the cookies or whatever you get out of flour and sugar, and you're only going to bake it for half the time, it is not going to taste like grandma's recipe. So this is what's so hard, I think, is in the corporate world, it's like, I don't want to be sold a bill of goods. We just don't have the resources to throw away if this isn't going to affect our bottom line. But if this actually changes our culture, changes our outcomes, yes, we'll invest in it. But everybody tells us it's going to change our culture and change our outcomes. So it is how do you move above that white noise, which is why for me, it's just easier because Behavioral health and healthcare knows this works. They know the data works in their world. And in spite of that, they continue to just want a one-day training on motivational interviewing. So even though they know, yes, and they'll put on their websites, yes, we use motivational interviewing. Research shows if you go in and measure those people who say they're using MI, they're not actually using motivational interviewing. They're doing reflective listening and open-ended questions. So it gets reduced because people say, well, we only have this amount of money or we only have this much time or only want to train this number of staff. And for me, why I love that recipe analogy again is because it's like, well, I want this phenomenal chocolate souffle, but we're not going to buy the good chocolate. Um, I need you to make it in 10 minutes. Um, and the oven only goes to 200 degrees. And you're like, well, I can't make that souffle. <laughs> like you're not giving me the ingredients. But if you really want to taste that way every single time that people are blown away and have a transformative experience, here's exactly the recipe. Here are the ingredients that you need. This is how long it's going to take. And this is the outcomes that you're going to get every single time, which is why with grandma's recipe, if she does it when she wants to, and she starts in the morning, she has everything at her disposal that she wants at the end of the day, when she, she pulls it out of the oven, Everybody's like, oh my God, this is amazing. How does she do this every single time? Well, that's fidelity to a model. If you're going to skimp on the ingredients, if you're not going to put enough prep time into it, it just is not going to taste the same. And that's why I use that analogy for fidelity because most people say, yeah, I know that all the ingredients you need are going to take, you know, $100. We've only got $20 in our budget. Um, and I know that she likes to bake them for 20 minutes, but we only have 10 minutes to bake them. And it's like, and then I have well, it's just you're not going to take every, You're talking language of every business. <laughs> exactly. And that's exact, And that's why I'm talking about why this is so difficult when, when you look at the data. But what they do is they just drool over the data going, what do you mean that it reduces? Like I think of law enforcement. What do you mean it reduces use of force by 40%? Because that an organization, a, a law enforcement agency that actually followed fidelity, it reduced their use of force by 40%. 
when I used it in employment services for a division of oak rehab. You know, they went from a kind of 48 to 52% rehabilitation rate to a 78 to 82% rehabilitation rate. That's mind boggling. That's literally a significant increase, a 25% increase of people getting back to work that have struggled with disabilities or in the world that you and I live in, in senior living, where you, as if you help people work through their ambivalence, instead of having an occupancy rate of about 80%, 85%, you've got hundred percent occupancy with a waiting list because people are helping, they're working through their own ambivalence. It's not how do you stick a crowbar in there and leverage people into your, you know, getting a, a head in a bed which is what people continue to try to do, which is why they can't break that 85% occupancy rate. What you're looking at is how do you communicate more effectively so people work through their ambivalence so they're making a decision that aligns with their values. And that's just when we're talking about your customer base. We're not even talking, Danielle, about your workforce. So when you take a workforce who's under stress and pressure and trauma, their own trauma, pandemic, post-pandemic, their brains are not functioning as effectively. So increasing productivity expectations is not wrong. It's not bad. It's going to increase stress and you're going to have a difficulty with retention. It is just math. And so people like come in and do a one day training on MI and it's just like, and so this is that cycle and pattern over and over and over again. This is why you and I connected so well, because it's not a matter of money. Like you said, it's a matter of investment. What do you want to invest? It, it, it's not a matter of training dollars because fundamentally training dollars are basically budget dust, you know, depending on, especially in the corporate world, like that's the, that's the least, that's a, the least amount of their budget is, is corporate training. They're spending millions and millions and billions in other areas. And then training, they've got the budget dust for it that they give to it, but they're not thinking about what can we do to fundamentally shift and invest in our organization to make a, a, a shift in, in, uh, primary outcomes. And primary outcomes means if you have a robust workforce and an exceptionally good product, you there you should not have a problem at all with your profit margins. If you have a culture that people are really invested, I mean, look, you and I know this. Look at just the the dot-com phenomenon. Look at the Google phenomenon. They broke the mold in terms of how they set up the workplace culture. So you have people that are walk, working by choice 12 to 14 hours a day because they have a bunk bed in their cubicle, you know, and they have a gaming system in there and they have all the food and snacks and everything they could ever want. And so it's like, well, if you're going to give me all this stuff, I'll, I'll work because I love doing this kind of a job anyway. So if I wake you up at three and values with the people that you work for. So if you, so it's not a matter of, so then what do people try to do? They try to replicate it. So they try to put bunk beds and they try to put, <laughs> gaming systems yet. It's like, that's not the point. That's not because that's not going to work for people that work in behavioral health. That's going to cause more stress. Like that's not, it has to be, what is your vision? What is your mission? And how do you maximize the capacity of your workforce? Will you do it through really effective communication? You help them continue to ensure that their behavior is aligned with their own vision, mission, and values and that their vision, mission, and values aligns with the organization's vision, mission, and values. The most complicated thing in this, Danielle, the thing that makes it so difficult is, and I tell this to when administration has me come in and have conversations, these initial conversations, because I am so transparent, is once you make the decision to go there, it puts, 
executive leadership on point because from this point forward, your behavior has to start to be above reproach. Because if your behavior is not going to line up with your own vision, mission, and value statement, you are giving permission. That is the shadow of a leader. You're giving permission to the rest of your workforce to stand around the water cooler and blame outside themselves and make excuses, which is what administration does often, is they make excuses. And, and it doesn't mean they're not real excuses, and it doesn't mean that it's not legitimate blame. But you're just literally creating a culture that that is what we do here when we don't when we don't get to where we want to go. Or they say all these amazing flowery things in their vision and mission statement. And as soon as you ask the workforce, the workforce says, oh, yeah, they may say that, but it's about the numbers. They can post whatever they want in our lobby, in this beautifully painted lobby, in this beautifully scrolled, gilded vision and mission statement. But when it comes down to it, if we're not hitting our numbers, then we're out of here. That's a, that's a, that's a discrepancy between values and behavior, which is literally no different than somebody that's struggling with substance abuse who says they want their kids back. It's like, yeah, but your behavior is not lining up with what you say your values and your goals are. So this is for me why the communication solution comes into it, because it's like, how do we use language to close those gaps? Yeah, I think it's interesting. It makes me think of the the visionary, the leader, um, and the courage that that person has to have to, to really provide this level of training to fidelity, to your point. Um, I notice with all the trainings that you do with different organizations, uh, many do start with, just give us the intro. And then it's not soon after that they're like, could we have the advanced if they didn't jump in already? Because I'm also in awe of the people who jump in and say, I want intro and advanced. And they see the big picture. Um, And there's two things I've experienced in talking with these organizations. The, is the, um, the champion. There's somebody in that organization that believes so deeply in this work and that bigger vision that they go through all the politics that are needed inside an organization to, um, to communicate, (laughs) to use the tools actually to communicate with their leadership and make sure everybody's aligned and buys into it. Um, I'm really in awe of those people um, that do that for the organization. Um, And it's not always the leader. And, And in fact, is it typically somebody in inside that then brings it to the leader? It's it's yeah, it's pretty rare that it's the executive leader that is the one who has the brainstorm. That's that's pretty rare. Um, it usually is somebody that's been through a training or has been exposed or was at a conference and heard about it. Now they're exploring it. That tends to be it. It the most profound changes I ever see is when executive leadership gets it. When they truly something clicks in their brain and they're like, "We're in. We're we're going all in." Um, that's that's like one organization that you know we're working with right now made the decision to go to full fidelity, and their their workforce is going through the skill building process and getting measured and getting feedback. And I just lit. Well, this is an email you and I were on yesterday. Was that already October is one of their best months ever? Um because they've moved to full fidelity and people have let go of, oh, we're practicing reflective listening or we're practicing the ORS skills because those things get pushed so hard in intro trainings, which that's a communication technique. That's not a communication solution. And that's why for me, it's beyond motivational interviewing. There's a mindset and a skill set that moves it to 
to a, to a solution based process, not a technique driven um, skill set. So that's that's why I think what we do is so different. I think that's the thing that stood out to you is it's like, yeah, this just seems different. It is. And in that example that you're giving with the, the organization we're working with, the the success story, I, I had like tears thinking about this one team member who is dealing with a gatekeeper. There isn't a company in the world that doesn't have a gatekeeper, <laughs> some yes. kind of gatekeeper who yes. really was making it his job to mess up everything. I refuse. Yes. The wall is as big as in Game of Thrones, man. You are yes. not crossing. Yes. And this team member was like, ah, ew. you know, yes, you've been through training, but he's like, I, I guess I'm not really good, but I'm going to have to give this a whirl. <laughs> and yes. And the joke, I don't know if you heard this piece, but the joke was he spent two hours with this gatekeeper and it, it was it was a tough gatekeeper and he flipped was now their advocate in two hours. Yes. The joke, the joke internally was Casey would have done it in 10. <laughs> that is hilarious. Right? Because I'm like, God, way to go. This guy, we can't say who the company was, but the, the guy that did it, you could feel, I could feel the the um, the head gal's story. She's talking with this guy that's sitting there going, oh God, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I don't know what I'm doing yet. And then taking that leap. I think it's the yeah. courage of this, yeah. the vulnerability that just yes. locks my world with this communication yes. solution. You know, and, and Danielle, the, the thing that makes it accessible for me or ways that I want it to be accessible for everyone is that that really is no different than if you spent a month, you know, with a golf coach and, you know, and you're going on the green with your golf coach for the first time, you're getting out of the Bay area, you're getting out of the, you know, you're getting out of the, the, the golfing Bay and you're, or you're getting out of the batting cage or you're getting out of the, you know, it's like, okay, now we're going to go play a game. You're like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, oh my gosh, you've been practicing this. You've got to do it sometime. You've just got to, You've got to step out of the nest and, and flap your wings. And it's like, oh my God, I'm flying, I'm flying, I'm flying, I'm flying. It's like, yes, you're flying. You've got the wings for it. Now you've got the skill set. You've got the mindset. You're good. And then all you do is improve from there. That's honestly, Danielle, it's the reason why, you know, my mindset in when we developed the MICA, the, the measurement tool, the motivation competency assessment was the reason why one of those striations of, I wanted people to get feedback of, is this a person-centered conversation? Is this competent motivational interviewing? Or do you want to get to a level of mastery where you're highly proficient? Like it's it's such a growth mindset and a growth model that you can see your progression and continue to get coaching and get better and better. Every single time I do a training, I get better at motivational interviewing. Every single time. And people think that I'm this expert in MI. And I'm just always in awe that every time I talk with somebody, my knowledge and understanding and skills around motivation improve. And it's like, what a lifelong gift. You know, people talk about tennis uh, or golf <laughs> being, a, being a, you know, a, a skill you get age with. Well, learning really effective communication is a skill set that you can always grow with for the rest of your life, no matter where you exist and where you, you know, I think of Dr. Bill Miller, who developed MI, one of the, the key founders. And um, he's on his board in his senior living community, you know, with really effective communication, which is really helpful for the organization, you know, but he's not MIing them. That's what I love about it. 
Yeah, you never am I anyone. It's incredible. Have you noticed, um, as, as all, everybody's listening here, most likely everybody's part of something bigger than themselves um, in their career or business. Have you seen this trend? Because I've seen it with the people in your world where they might start with intro and advanced, but more and more seem to be really seeing the big picture and going, oh, God, yeah, I do want fidelity. I do want to get to that point of let's do the MICA assessment and individually get that, you know, make that investment in their people and their team to say, yes, we will, we will support you in getting this coding and coaching individually. I'm seeing more of that. Is is that just in my head or do you see that too? I, I see it too. And I think what it is, is because the, the thing that's very validating and reinforcing for me is that so many people that go through any level of training are just like, I just, I don't know if this is going to change my job, but I feel better in my life right now. And that, I mean, it's just such a common, like out of the gate, what people tend to say is like, I just feel clear in my own brain. I feel like I'm going to be healthier in my own family interactions. And I think that is just the impetus to go, I want to get better. And the more they use it after an intro or an advanced training, it's like, I'm, I'm ready to start pushing all in. And I think because what, what my sense is, Danielle, is I, I keep going to pandemic, post-pandemic. I think that it's like people have been craving a solution or craving a way out of their depression or craving a way out of their anxiety. And this is providing concrete skills and a mindset, a growth mindset that aligns with what so many people have been seeking. So I think organizations start to see the improved outcomes, but you run into this as often as I do at IFIOC is that so many people are like, you know what, let's just keep kind of pushing into it and we'll see if management catches up or, well, I'm going to talk to leadership because we have got to do the advanced training. So we're going to find a way to make this happen. It's coming from the inside. That's why when you said, you know, is it often that it starts with executive leadership? It's, it does happen at times. It just tends to be more rare because again, it gets reduced to, oh, has our workforce gone through the MI training yet? It's not the mindset of this truly is a solution that could fundamentally shift, you know, our, the culture that we work within. And it will help us align from a leadership perspective. I think the one that one of the very first trainings you ever sat in on in person was with a healthcare company. Uh, and that healthcare company, which was a relatively small, all things considered, it wasn't a United healthcare company, but it was a, a, a service provider, all different business lines. But you sat in there and watched their brain shift over time to go from, yeah, this is great. This is fun. This is interesting to when it started impacting outcomes and how much they started implementing in HR and the difference was making from an HR perspective, which helped them not clean house. It helped people find the right fit. And I think people think that they're doing that or say that they want to help people find the right fit, whether it's with our organization or not our organization. But HR really glommed onto this and the COO really glommed onto MI and it really started changing the fundamental culture. And and so some people from the outside were saying, wow, they're really cleaning house there. But from the people that were experiencing, even the staff themselves were saying, I don't know if this is the right fit for me. And other people were coming into the organization thinking, I cannot believe that this is a healthcare organization. Like this is what I've always dreamed of. What do you mean this is the way we operate here? And so it really did just kind of recalibrate. And they went from a 3.5 rating, star rating 
as an organization in, in healthcare and senior living, it went from a 3.5 star rating to a 5.0 rating to the highest rating you can get um, within three years. That's, that's, that's data. And their outcomes have improved. Their staff satisfaction improved. Their retention rate, where they had a pretty decent turnover rate because it's healthcare and there's decent turnover. Their retention rate is amazing now because people love where they work. And the people that don't want to be there anymore feel very good about when they, they move on to something different. It's just a healthier organization. You're triggering this memory for me when I was in training with you. And one of the, you're so brilliant, right? In the moment when somebody brings up an example and then you could tell they're really stressed, they're like, listen, we are losing people. We can't keep people, you know, in their position. So I had, you know, my best nurse or I can't remember who it was, was going to leave. And I'm like holding their ankles, you know, the, the HR, whoever the team leader was, or I'm holding their ankles and you're like, cool. Or you can do it this way. And you just like ad lived a whole conversation you could have with that person who wanted to leave that just the energetically way I describe this work is like, Control, 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 fear, fear, fear. Let's oh, we gotta manage everything to like what if you released and actually stopped controlling and had a a system for doing that? Yes. We all instinctively know that's how you're gonna get somewhere faster. But it is have the tools to do that. That's it. And it seems it feels so ironic that you know, we hear this all the time, and I think it sounds a little esoteric, but what we tend to hear is you know, let go. If you want things to go, you let go. You know, if it, you know, if it's true, exactly, exactly. And that's what we think. Really and now we're back to the communication solution. I mean, full circle again, because it is how you communicate. And I, I just have to say it again. This is as much mindset and there's specific measurable mindset as it is skill set. And I think people are so heavy on the learning new skills or relearning the same skills they've learned over and over and over again, thinking it's going to kind of dislodge if I keep learning the same communication skills. It's not. There is a mindset we can measure that will help get people aligned with that. And there's a mindset and there's a whole, you know, grandma's recipe, like I keep saying, for fidelity, you know, provides a structure uh, and a path forward with it. So, yeah, that. I'm so riled up. I could keep going, but um, yeah. one thing I want to say, and I don't remember where I heard you say this, but you were mentioning about like, I think of organizations and, and I'm, I'm a sucker for a motivational speaker. I really am. And it's like, you can listen to as many motivational speakers as you want, Yes. but if you can bring something more than that, that's not going to get you to a team or a culture of inspiration on a consistent basis. Right. Um, that really resonated with me because I'm like, oh, I see so many companies doing that. Everybody gets excited about that keynote inspirational speaker. And I think that's why you broke through that conference for me when you were the keynote because I was like, dang, this is not, yeah. it was so memorable. And you were, I don't want to say who you were aligned with because there's such big names Yes. And mentors for my whole career, yeah. same people. And I was like, I can't remember what they said, but I could never get you out of my head. That was pretty profound. You know, and I, I think that's I think that's the clinician or the social worker in me is I just want to make sure that when I'm when I've had an interaction with somebody, there's a changed outcome. And it it struck me early on that I 
I was thinking about this, like, well, anybody can motivate, anybody can inspire, which is phenomenal. That's great to be able to do that, but it doesn't necessarily correlate to change. So just because you're inspired or just because you feel motivated doesn't measurably create long-term sustained behavior change consistently. It's more random of who did it inspire, who did it motivate. That's more of a random shotgun approach. So yeah, you can have lots of inspiring speakers, you can have motivational speakers, but to walk away with a communication solution that we can measure and give feedback on and actually see the change in outcomes, that's that it just gets to the heart and the core of why I love doing the work that I do. Again, on a on an individual level or on a collective level or organizational level. Yeah. Thank you so much for what you do, Casey. Um, I know this would be a short episode. I could keep going. Um, I'm just so grateful. So grateful I met you. And, you know, for, for all of you listeners out there, um, if you are struggling with communication, reach out. Um, if you have success stories in communication, reach out. We Absolutely. really, really want to hear from you. Hear from you. Um, so just give us give us a shout at Casey at ifioc.com. Um, and we can't wait to hear from you. Any any parting words, Casey? No, I just um, I just just even having this conversation with you, just the um, the gratitude and the humility that I feel both. You know, it just it helps counterbalance that imposter phenomenon. But then when I when we start having these conversations, and I look at all the organizations I've worked with and the profound differences made in their workforce and their outcomes, I just I just have nothing but gratitude. So I just I'm just glad we were able to have this conversation. Awesome. Thanks so much, Casey. See you on the next episode. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Communication Solution Podcast with Casey Jackson and John Gilbert. As always, this podcast is about empowering you on your journey to change the world. So if you have questions, suggestions, or ideas, send them our way at Casey at IFIOC.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y at I-F-I-O-C dot com. For more information or to schedule a training, visit I-F-I-O-C dot com. Until our next communication solution podcast, keep changing the world.